hit wonder this is bg and the coach it's episode two with me as always my man bg and i am the respectfully named coach bg what's happening coach great to be back with you again we said that we were doing this thing for real not just like you said a one hit wonder here for episode two of what we hope will be at least a three episode run but hopefully (laughs) even more than that I really thought creative differences would shatter us after a single episode, so we've already defied the odds here. But in fairness, there's there's actually a lot to talk about this week in the bizarre world of sports. There is. And to your point, I, I honestly thought the whole podcast was going to be canceled after your St. Louis Rams low blow last episode, but so uncalled for. We went to mediation, we hashed it out, had to work out some new terms on my contract to make things up to me, but here we are and we're back. And like you said, plenty to talk about. Yeah, I think the biggest, I mean, you know, we're recording this on the Sunday before the NFL draft coming up this Thursday, which to me has always been one of the most bizarre spectacles. I think to most, the fact that this is not just the draft event itself, But the lead up to it, I'm talking from the moment the Super Bowl ends to this very week, the speculation, the mock drafts, it's an incredible event they've somehow created. And to the NFL's credit, now that they've moved it back, because it used to be, if I remember correctly, at the beginning of April, now that they've moved it back, I think some of the thoughts when they first did that was, well, how are they going to continue to sustain interest for this long? Because as you've said, it's already such a drawn out process, but to the NFL's credit, they're a 12 month a year kind of league and interest has kept remaining. Even this year, when we pretty much know who at least the top two picks are going to be interest still sky high. Yeah. It, it, they are the chief exporter of manufactured drama. And this I don't, if you saw the, the Trevor Lawrence story, so Trevor Lawrence, in a lot of years, a lot of drafts, there's mystery, even the number one pick, who's it going to be? In this year, there is absolutely no mystery. Trevor Lawrence is a quarterback out of Clemson and looks like he was built as a prototype straight out of a lab for quarterbacks. There's absolutely no question that he's going first to the Jacksonville Jaguars. But this story that came out actually a couple of weeks ago, I believe at this point, They had an interview with Sports Illustrated and Trevor Lawrence, and again, he is the perfect prospect. But at one point, they asked him about not even his commitment to the game, but how he feels about the pressure about potentially being the number one pick. Spoiler alert, he will be the number one pick. (laughs) And his his answer set off a little bit of a firestorm. BG, here's his quote. It's as benign as this. He basically says, it's hard to explain... Because I know people want to know if I'm passionate, uh, but I don't really have this huge chip on my shoulder that everyone's out there trying to get me and everybody's trying to prove me wrong. I just don't have that. I can't manufacture that. And I don't want to. Now, that seems like a pretty normal statement, but a tide of media pundits came out and said that that displays a lack of commitment to the game and is a real concern. Well, let me first say that anyone who saw Trevor Lawrence star in his previous incarnation as Sunshine from Remember the Titans (laughs) should know that he's a a very laid back kind of guy. This should come as no surprise. But no, in all seriousness, 
like you said, this is just some of the most manufactured drama I've ever seen. And maybe in a year where literally Urban Meyer, the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, has said, mm, yeah, we're, we're leaning toward Trevor. Shocker that we need some kind of drama to, to shake up for, for the first pick, even though nobody thinks this is going to change anything. But this is the classic thing where we want our athletes to be honest, and we don't like when they give bland, same-answer interviews every time. And he gives an honest answer that, frankly, I can't even find the beginning of a controversy within. All he's saying is that he's not going to live or die with what happens on the football field, which seems like a healthy, well-balanced individual. And like you said, it's just completely blown up. I think my favorite take, I, I can't remember if I saw this in an article, if I was listening on the radio where somebody said, if you're Trevor Lawrence, you've literally succeeded every day of your life. What chip are you supposed to find on your shoulder? Why is that so bad that he's just being honest of, yeah, I, it, why would he feel like that? Yeah, I feel like a lot of this comes out, like if everyone saw the last dance with with Jordan and the Bulls, like that was Jordan to a T. I mean, he took umbrage with every single thing that he could find and people have it in their mind that that is the sign of a true superstar a potential superstar but i'm with you on these these questions almost like the opposite of a regular interview situation that you or i or any of our listeners would go through where when they ask questions like you know what's your biggest weakness which no one even asks anymore because the answers are so robotic and ro oh i care too much beachy i care about this show way too much Works too hard. the worst thing about me <laughs> like, I'm too they humble. don't ask those in interviews anymore because of how ridiculous it is but it's like a bizarro world in the nfl where those are exactly the answers that teams want to hear they want to hear trevor lawrence say I just work too hard. I'm too much of a perfectionist. Like that's gold to them. And any kind of authentic answer uh, is somehow anathema. But, but if he had said that to the media, we all would have been sitting here going, that's not true. Like, what is he talking about? Like, yeah, he's a, I'm sure he's an incredibly hard worker, but he's just giving the cookie cutter standard QB answer that he's supposed to give. And granted, I know he's going to make millions more than probably anyone who's listening to this podcast, although Bill Gates, I know you're out there. Uh, thanks for always <laughs> listening. But for the most part, yes, he'll be making more than all of us. But imagine if you sat down for a job interview and they, and they expected you to give an answer, essentially saying, I care about this job more than anything mm -hmm. else in my life. So if you need me to miss family time, not a problem whatsoever. Uh, my kid's wedding, no worries. I'll be in the office that day. It, it'd be unheard of for any other position. And I wonder, although I haven't seen this come up, maybe it's just because I haven't been reading enough about it, if what happened with Andrew Luck, who was sort of the last prototypical college prospect, who, for those who don't know, retired from the NFL early, I wonder if, if that has raised the, the flag for teams on, on QBs who maybe they believe aren't so passionate about the game that they would live and die with it. That's the only thing I can yeah. think of, because otherwise this is just ridiculous. That's fair. I hear where you're coming from. And listen, they're, they're, the teams are making a huge investment. I mean, Trevor Lawrence stands to make you know, tens of millions, even in his first contract, let alone the ones that follow over the years, which could easily reach into the hundreds of millions. But at the same time, I'm with you. You've got me thinking now, like, we don't even hear the interviews that the teams have with the players behind closed doors. I feel like, you know, those kind of questions are probably along the lines of, you know, how close are you to your, your family, your immediate family? Does Trevor Lawrence have to respond, what family? I mean, what, at what point 
do we acknowledge that there's some semblance of humanity going on here? Because I agree. I think players get punished unless they basically disown their personal lives. And I will say, to be fair, it seems like that's the case. And, and you'll know this, of course, from your extensive experience, but for coaches as well, it, we've almost created a culture where if you're not sleeping on your couch in the office every night until 4 a.m. as the coach of a team, you're going to be considered to be a failure as a coach. And I don't know when athletes or coaches or people involved with a team started being punished for having any semblance of a life or caring about literally anything other than what's going on on the field. Yeah, it's a sad state of affairs. I only wish that we would just acknowledge it as a reality. And instead of when coaches are asked what their priorities are in life, they shouldn't say God, family, et cetera. It should be sleeping under my desk at team headquarters. Yep, that's the only right answer. And next time that we see a Super Bowl winner and they say, what are you going to do next? I hope it's, I'll be in tomorrow at 6 a.m. There will be no victory parade. <laughs> I'm looking forward to next year. Disney World. Don't even insult me with the thought of that. Yeah, I, I don't like fun. I don't like humor. I don't like personal relationships. Just sports. We should send Trevor Lawrence these interview notes. <laughs> I think we can get his stock back up. But the draft as a whole continues to just be a complete crapshoot. I mean, even with Trevor Lawrence... There is really no telling who's going to pan out. Um, and I, I don't think there's any amount of work that these coaches say that they do. And I believe that they do. doesn't seem to be translating to any additional success in identifying uh, potential successful prospects. Especially when it comes to QBs. And really, we could say that for any position, although maybe some teams are, are getting better than others at, at identifying certain positional values. But Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more, Coach, especially when it comes to QBs. It just sometimes seems like teams are throwing darts at the wall and hoping that one year something is going to stick. And like you said, for how much money and time is being invested into what's Mm -hmm. arguably the most important position in football, just seems like maybe not the smartest model to just hope and pray that their pick is going to pan out. Yeah, but I I will tell you, PG, the old coach has got a theory about how to address this issue. I need you, okay, I'm going to walk you through it, but I need you to agree with a few basic premises first, okay? Um, I'm excited. Coach Coach theories are gold theories as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> this is worth its weight in gold. All right, first things first, we got to agree that the quarterback position is the most important position in football, if not sports as a whole. I'll go with you for football. I'm on board. Okay. Second premise is that, again, the draft, is like we said, is completely a crapshoot. There's really no way of knowing what you're going to get. And I mean, listen, they say they say a 50% hit rate is considered to be extremely successful for an NFL coach GM front office. That's the kind of success rate that would only be envied by a meteorologist. <laughs> We're talking about a real low bar here. So are you on board with that? On board. That's honestly 50 50 is probably high barring it, but I'm on board. That's exceptional. That's exceptional performance. Here's what I believe should take place with teams who need a quarterback teams on average have seven picks. There's seven rounds, one pick per round, give or take with some trades. 
I think teams should use every single pick on a quarterback. I think you should walk <laughs> out of that draft with seven quarterbacks and play the odds. If the quarterback is truly the most important position, forget about depth at other positions or getting other star players. You've got to address that first and then can solve for everything else. So for everybody listening in who thinks this is a crazy theory, and I've got my own patented BG theory that I'll share in a minute that's a slight offshoot of coach's theory. But for everybody who thinks it's a crazy theory, I will point to the Washington football team, which drafted RG3 and Kirk Cousins Mm -hmm. in the same draft. And the football teamers were hounded for that decision. Why would you draft your franchise star quarterback number two overall? You gave a bevy of picks, if you will, to uh, St. Louis, the rightful home uh, Rams at the time. And yet you're going to turn around and in the fourth round draft Kirk Cousins. And we all know how that turned out. Kirk Cousins, while not maybe a franchise QB, has certainly had a a successful, if not very successful career. RG3 has had a very successful backup career. And it's not so crazy to say, listen, like coach said, it's the most important position. I'm just spending the entire draft drafting seven guys. I will offer you my alternative BG theory on this because the one flaw I see in the coach theory is you're going to have to hope that, that there's going to be a franchise guy in each round after all the other teams have, have already taken a shot at it. And maybe you don't want to waste mm-hmm. every pick on that. My theory is every year, regardless of your QB situation, you should spend at least one pick on a QB. doesn't have to be your first rounder. It can be your seventh rounder, but you should be bringing in a QB every single year. One, as we've said, clearly NFL teams don't really know what they're doing because we're unearthing gems long after the first round. Two, the way the NFL is currently situated, playing a QB on a rookie wage scale gives you such an important leg up because you're not spending so much of your cap on a QB. So even if you've got a great QB, if you bring someone in three years later who turns out to be pretty good, might be worth just playing them instead of your current QB and restarting over on that rookie wage scale. Your plan is infinitely more practical than mine. I like going straight to extremes. I'm when I say play the odds, I mean, play (laughs) the odds. Sure. You may not have receivers. You may not have quarterbacks to line up, but you will have seven guys crammed into a tiny quarterback room in meetings where they are elbow to elbow studying film together and to me, that's the best way to, to make the most of your odds. Well, your plan is certainly a lot more fun. And ironically, the example I gave, the Washington football team, should probably do that this year because <laughs> they have neither of those two QBs that I previously referenced, nor really anyone who's capable of playing quarterback. So maybe they should be the team. And if any team is going to do it, it'll be one owned by Dan Snyder, who will just put his foot on the scale and say, we need to just draft a QB every single round, no matter what. Go for it, boys. Yeah, this is Dan Snyder, Jerry Jones territory. I mean, you would have to have owners who completely dismiss the educated opinions of the employees that they hired. And that only happens in a few rare teams. (laughs) Definitely Washington football teams at the top of that list. Well, speaking of owners who disregard intelligent thinking, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if this is true, but I remember the rumor being on the street when the Browns picked Johnny Manziel that the owner of the Browns had been talking to a homeless individual the day before the draft and asked him or her who the Browns should select and was told Johnny Manziel. And that was good for Mr. Haslam. And that's who the Browns (laughs) took who a team that does have their QB now, but 
probably in years past should have drafted someone with each pick. I will tell you that based on the Browns' performance until very recently, I think Haslam continued to go to that homeless man for advice year after year. <laughs> that, would, that would probably be a good idea. Speaking, Coach, of owners who need to go to people for advice, I want to switch sports for a little bit, but keep a focus on owners. Uh, as you know, Coach, because you're more of a true diehard soccer fan than I am, at least until the... MLS team debuts in St. Louis, but the big news uh, just this past week and continues to be a big news is this super league that was attempted to have formed. Um, Would love to get some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, we started with the NFL draft, but by all objective measure, this soccer super league story is the biggest story in the sports world. And right after we wrapped up our first episode, This news broke just a week ago that the biggest teams, let me take a step back and say soccer is the biggest sport in the world. And the biggest teams in soccer are all located in Europe. Last Sunday, 12 of those teams, so I believe it's six from England, uh, three from Spain, and three from uh, Italy, decided that they were breaking away into a 12-team Super League, as they were calling it, leaving their current leagues in their respective countries. And with them comes the biggest names, the biggest players in the world. And they announced this without any kind of warning, any kind of heads up and said, this is happening. All 12 teams have already agreed. And it set off bedlam in not just the soccer world, but I mean, the sports world as a whole. It's it's rare for a soccer story to get such attention here in the States, but that it did. And within 48 hours, which again, this started on Sunday, by Tuesday of this past week, the league had folded (laughs) due to an incredible amount of backlash from everyone from the fans, first and foremost, the players of these teams who had no idea this was coming. And finally, the, the legislative bodies behind European soccer and all the way up to FIFA as an organization coming down hard on these teams that by the next day after this announcement, teams already started pulling out until there were almost none left and the whole league collapsed. Well, just as a side note, my favorite part of everything you just said was the end part where you said almost none are left because I love that. (laughs) And I think it's the three Spanish teams have not officially withdrawn from the league, which Granted, at some point, you just tip your cap to their stubbornness because that's just phenomenal (laughs) when the other nine teams have said the league is done and they're like, nope, we're pressing forward. It'll just be the three of us. Clearly, they're going to fold too, but I just have to tip my hat at their (laughs) stubbornness. Coach, like you said, I think we sometimes forget in America that soccer really truly is the globe's biggest sport. And I think we sometimes take for granted how diehard some of the fans can be of their respective teams. Um, especially in England, but really throughout Europe as well. And when we were doing our pre-show meeting, I had requested multiple times that I spend this entire segment bashing Arsenal and Los Angeles Rams owner Stan Kroenke, who I have no doubt was a large driving force behind this decision, primarily because I know that he's just a terrible human being. (laughs) But uh, I will instead focus on the positive aspect of this. Like you said, it took a mere 48 hours for this thing to fold. And really, I think the reason behind that was because there was such a strong and continues to be such a strong backlash from the fans. 
not only fans of other teams who stood to lose from this, but fans of the clubs who were breaking away and really stood to gain from it. But because they believed in the purity of the sport so much, they stood their ground. They made sure their feelings were known and the league folded. And at least in America, I have become so cynical and so used to owners doing whatever they want out of greed. Like, for instance, yeah. Stan Kroenke moving the Rams from St. Louis to LA, just to pick a just random one example. example. That's a single example. And, sure. and, you know, coincidentally, he's also involved in this. But I, we're just so used to seeing greedy moves being made. And it seems like the fans have no recourse but just to take it. And it was so nice for me, at least, to see a situation where the fans revolted and they got what they wanted. The league folded. Yeah, I really think the tipping of the scales there is that it was the fans being blindsided, the players being blindsided, no one who actually runs the sport in Europe having any idea this was happening. I mean, just the pure hubris on the part of these owners who are, I mean, some of, if not the wealthiest individuals in the world who own these these top clubs. Um, And these are clubs that anyone had heard, Manchester United, etc. If you barely know soccer, only know a few clubs. Those are the ones that are involved in this. But it also gets me thinking about, you're right, this is such a rare time where, where that the owner's greed did not prevail, did not win the day. It does make me wonder if this idea, though, of a Super League could pop up here in the U.S. in any case. And you know, one example is potentially in, in college basketball, where you've got blue-chip premier programs um, playing against mid-majors, smaller schools, the revenue disparity that they're generating is massive, yet they're all under this NCAA umbrella. BG, do you think anything like this could potentially happen with our sports stateside? Yeah, Coach, I, I think that's a great point, and I think it's a big fear. I think if we didn't see this fail so spectacularly, I'd be more worried about it. But on the flip side, I think college athletic fans probably have less power to influence a decision than the fans of these soccer clubs did. But I think you're spot on. And I think to me, college is where we would see something like that happen. Because like you said, we have the blue blood programs. You know, you take a college basketball that you brought up, for example, you've got your Dukes and your Kentuckys and your mm-hmm. Michigan States and your North Carolinas. And in a year like this year, a lot of those blue blood teams didn't do well. Well, what was one of the main driving forces behind the Super League and soccer? It was these big clubs wanted to make sure they didn't have to worry about relegation if they ever had an off year. Well, what's to stop, like you said, these blue blood programs, A, looking around and like you said, not wanting to share the revenue pie with some of these smaller programs, but B, why should they ever have to worry about missing March Madness if they just start their own Super League of March Madness? They could bank on the fans wanting to see all those teams anyway, and then they have their Super League. I think because we saw it fail so spectacularly, I would hope that never happened because to me, the beauty of March Madness is truly when you can get those mid-major upsets when you've got mm-hmm. small teams like that. Yep. And I would hope, although again, I'm, I'm so cynical, so maybe not, that even the athletic directors and the power brokers realize of these blue blood big schools, whether it's college basketball, whether it's college football, we are going to kill the sport if we try and make an extra buck by doing that. But that's also never stopped anyone before. So hopefully not, but I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. Well, that's what scares me is if this super league had showed even just a little bit more tact and nuance and thoughtfulness in this approach, they actually, I I feel like they could have made it work. They would have just had to overcome this inevitable initial wave of backlash. They knew was coming, 
but it was just so poorly bungled in terms of the buy-in from anyone outside of these 12 owners. It does make me a little scared that if someone with a little bit more savvy were to do that with our major sports here in the U.S., they could potentially pull it off and we would have that initial. It's like, listen, when your Facebook account changes and they change the design on your homepage, everyone loses their minds. <laughs> and then two weeks later, we're like, all right, well, okay, this is the new normal now. <laughs> just, just leave my newsfeed alone, please. <laughs> Stop tinkering. No, I, I, I think you're right. And I think uh, people could be viewing this as a dry run and maybe a, a way to take some lessons on what not to do. I would hope that that's not applied here um, to, to form a more successful attempt at it. But yeah, I, I think that fear is, is well-founded and hopefully maybe the, the takeaway lesson for fans though, is look what we can do if we mobilize and make ourselves heard enough. I think that's the good news for college basketball, because I think the only, the biggest lunatics in sports world is likely uh, Premier League soccer teams. <laughs> but I think second place might be college basketball fans who are university students. So if they can learn anything from the sports world or the soccer world, I should say, I mean, there were soccer clubs in this group who were somehow uh, petitioning outside of headquarters the next morning. Like, I guess they didn't have work. <laughs> they somehow had time overnight to make signs that were all ready to go. So I think college basketball fans have that same level of rowdiness that could be the one thing that bails them out of this kind of situation. Yeah, that's a great point. I did see a lot of well-attended giant rallies on like a random Thursday. So nice to know that people were felt so passionate that they were <laughs> taking off work or school or, or whatever obligations that they had. In fact, like NFL quarterbacks, they were fully dedicated with no other care <laughs> to this cause. Coach, you, you made a list of passionate fans. I think in third place on that list is fans of BG and the Coach podcast. And Ooh. that is why I am happy to tell all of those passionate fans that they too can group together and find us and listen to us wherever you find your favorite podcast, as well as uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Absolutely, you can. BG and the Coach, get at us. That's what you're supposed to say, right? I, I think so. I hope so. Get at it us. It feels right. It feels Tweet right. at us. Follow us, uh, listen to us on all the podcast places that you go to. I, th I think that's I think that's most of our promotional announcements. Our producer will tell us if we've bungled that in any way. We're going to get berated by our producer. <laughs> but thank you guys for tuning in. There is plenty more content to come. And we look forward to talking to you next time. Welcome to BG and the Coach, brought to you by Greitens Ice Cream. <laughs>